Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. Welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. I'm so excited about my guest here today. Today I have Sasha Long from The Autism Helper. Sasha is a board-certified behavior analyst and former special education teacher. She travels internationally as a speaker and consulting, providing individualized training and feedback to parents, educators, therapists, and administrators in the world of autism. If you have any questions about anything autism, Sasha is your go-to person. And today, in today's episode, we talk all about behavior, working as a team, and all things that SLPs might struggle with when it comes to dealing with this population. So without further ado, let's get into the episode with Sasha from The Autism Helper. You are listening to SLP Coffee Talk. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, and I am a licensed speech-language pathologist who is in the trenches working full-time in a public school in New York. I'm the author of the blog and Teachers Pay Teachers store, Speech Time Fun, where I love helping other SLPs conquer the overwhelm and get back hours spent on prepping activities. I am here to help you be the best SLP you can be and have fun while doing it. Just like your morning cup of coffee, this podcast is just what you need to start the day or week. Let's jump into today's Coffee Talk. I am so excited to have Ms. Sasha Long from the Autism Helper here. Welcome. Thank you. For people that may or may not know you, tell us a little bit about your backstory, about how you started working with this population and getting so passionate about all of this, all things Autism Helper. Yeah. So I am a former special education teacher and I found myself in a self-contained junior high room my first year teaching and felt just wildly unprepared as most (laughs) new teachers do because, you know, the special ed degree is just so broad. You know, you can teach preschool self-contained through a high school resource room, but I really loved my job and I was lucky enough to work at a school for a long time that had administration that really kind of let me figure it out, which is a blessing, I think. Amazing. Yeah, you're not micromanaged. And I also had other self-contained classrooms in the same school as me. So I had some community, even though it felt it was a little bit, it was only a few teachers. 
but I was really able to kind of figure out what best practices were. And this is, you know, before Pinterest and Instagram and teacher blogs, I was really hungry for new ideas and what to do next. I went back to school while I was still in the classroom to become a board certified behavior analyst. And that was, you know, a horrible idea and a great idea at the same time. You know, I had like no life because I was going to school at night, but I would learn about you know, applied behavior analysis, learn about all these new strategies, and then go back in my classroom the next day and be able to practice it. And I was able to do all of my internship hours in my classroom, do my thesis in my classroom. So it really became, you know, full circle, which was really great. And like learn how to really make positive behavior change in a real way that was evidence-based and had the data to support it. So from there, I started kind of sharing my ideas because I knew how it felt to not have any support and started a blog and that, you know, snowballed to a podcast and doing speaking and consulting and a membership and all these crazy things. So never know where life's going to take you. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. That really is huge that you had the support and respect and the ability to try things out with your students right in front of you and learn and grow right there on the job. That's huge. Yeah, it really was. While you were learning and growing, like, did you have like an aha moment when you realized like, okay, I got this? You know, I think I had a lot of moments of like, I don't got this, but that was like good to know, like, I got to go figure out where to like find the right answer. Like, I think it taught me to be a really good problem solver because, you know, I, I quote Dr. Stephen Shore in like almost every PD I do. If you've met one individual with autism, you've met one individual with autism. And each time you like, think like, oh yeah, I got this. I know what to do. You get this new kid mm -hmm. or you get the same kid you've had for a while who went to summer camp and learned a whole new set of behaviors. Mm -hmm. So it really taught me to kind of continuously think outside the box, be creative, seek out the right answer and kind of be comfortable with being like, I don't know right now, but let me, let me try some things or let me figure it out. Or let me figure out what steps I need to take to figure it out. Cause I think that's where a lot of teachers get stuck. We feel like we have to like know all the things and pretend that we know all the things. Mm -hmm. and, and there's a lot of power in being like, I don't know what to do next. Let me, let me think about that or let me research that. And that's huge. And being okay with not knowing. Yeah. It, everyone's in like the fake it till you make it. And it's like, well, I don't know. You don't always have to fake it. <laughs> How about being okay with, I don't know yet that, that, uh, yeah. that growth mindset. We need to have yes, it upon totally. ourselves. When you started, you know, your BCBA training, what was the one thing you were excited to learn more about? I think at that time that I was in grad school, I had a lot of kids with really extreme behaviors and I was doing some things right and I wasn't doing some things right. And I just really wanted to help decrease those negative behaviors because with, you know, our kids with really extreme responses, you see what a major impact that has on their whole life, their family, you know, their ability to make friends, to go to inclusion, to learn to read. If you're in, if you're in meltdown mode all day, you're not getting your IEP goals. You know, you're not mm -hmm. going to gym class with the fifth grade and your family's not going to Home Depot as a family on Saturday. So it just impacts everything. And it was like, if we can figure out how to decrease these negative behaviors and replace them with something positive and communicative, what an impact that has on everyone involved, like my classroom staff, their family, the, the other kids. Mm -hmm. So it was always like in you know class, I was probably always annoying to my professors because I was like, well, what if this were to happen? And they were like, we know you're talking about your students. And I was like, I know, but like, let me just, let me just run this by you. 
So, you know, it was always kind of fun to, to learn about, you know, why the things that were working worked and then kind of build on that. That's amazing. And I know you always say it's important to know if a child can't do something or won't do something. Yes. This is such a simple, like once you start thinking about all behaviors that way, it really shifts your mindset on how to approach a challenging behavior. So really like all of the behaviors we do are shaped by two things. They're shaped by the skills we have to do it and the motivation. Do we want to do it? Like the example I use a lot in trainings is, is, is me running. Like I'm not a runner. I don't like running. Good for all the people that love running. I just don't. Not, not me, right? So if someone were to say, Sasha, go run a mile, like I could do it. I have the skills, but I don't want to. I'd rather watch TV. So I'm like, no, thank you. I'm not going to. But if someone's like, Sasha, run a mile and I'll give you $500. Well, you better believe I'm going to get my big pregnant butt out there and run a mile because <laughs> I now have the skills and the motivation. You know, we really need both. If someone were to say, Sasha, run a mile in five minutes, it didn't matter what motivation they gave me. They could offer me $5 million. That physically won't happen. Like I don't have the skills probably ever to run a five minute mile. So if we don't know with our kids' behaviors, what's missing? Is there, are there missing skills that they just can't demonstrate that response? They don't have the work endurance yet. They don't know how to share. They don't know how to communicate. There's something that's missing. Or do they have the skills, but there's just no reinforcement? If we don't know which one it is and we're just haphazardly picking either one, we could just be running into a brick wall. Like someone could just be continuously offering me money to run that five minute mile, but it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't change the fact that I don't have the skills. Mm -hmm. So if we just keep adding reinforcement, 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 that might not be the right solution for that child. They just might need instruction on the missing skill, not motivation. So true. So true. And I know a lot of my audience struggles with when there are so many skills lacking, Yeah. how do you decide what skill to focus on so that they can be motivated and be successful? I think it's looking at what, how those skills are demonstrated in other areas. You know, can the child wait if it's a very preferred item? Can the child request help when it's the iPad? You know, like looking at how the skill that you're looking for is if it's demonstrated in other areas. A quick kind of like can't do or won't do test is to offer that like super high powered reinforcer for whatever the expectation is. If it's transitioning, if it's asking for help, if it's sharing, offer like the big money reinforcer and, and see what happens. You know, hey class, if you guys all transition your centers under two minutes, then we're gonna go right out to recess. Like no questions asked, we're going right out to recess even though it's 10, 15. Well, if your class suddenly transitions in 20 seconds, the whole class, then you know that, okay, they have the skills to transition. <laughs> it's taking five minutes on a typical school day because there isn't reinforcement there. So you can kind of do that quick little test and see when I offer the big ticket item, can they increase those skills suddenly? And if they can't, and you're like, okay, well, let's look at now what skills are missing and start to dig in and identify which ones we want to start with. That's huge. That's, that's such a great tip and idea. And there's so many speech pathologists listening that are thinking, okay, I know what those things are in my therapy room. There's that game, there's that toy that they're always asking for. If I offer it, I can try to see what skills I can get out of them. 
So that's a good tester. That's a, and to not be afraid of testing, it doesn't always have to be teaching and and you have to figure out where they're at and and knowing and not being afraid to assess a little bit and play around a little bit. I think sometimes we kind of get scared, like, okay, well, if I do that on Monday, then I'm going to have to do it on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And I'm like, no, you don't like, it doesn't have to, just because you did one session where you said, Hey, if you transition to the speech room, you know, with quiet hands by your body, with walking, you know, with me the whole time, you know, you, you don't talk in the hallway. And if it's totally perfect, when we get to the speech room, you get iPad right away. And it's like, oh my God, okay. And like, suddenly that, the, all those behaviors are there, but we kind of get scared like, oh, well now every time we do that, I'm gonna have to give the iPad. Well, not necessarily. You can fade in, you know, academic demands and your work demands from there, but it's nice knowing where we're starting. Like, let's start from that place of success and like knowing what skills they have. That's huge. And do you have any tips for doing that fading for someone who's listening going, I I don't even know how to do that. You know, it's slow. I think you have to be slow and purposeful about it. And you have to make each step super achievable and not to use like another running analogy. I really don't like hate running this much, but another, <laughs> okay, I'm not a runner. Is, so you're fine. <laughs> yeah, is, I don't know if you've ever seen those like couch to 5k running guides. Like it's like, okay, you go from laying on your couch to like running a 5k two months later. Well, I, I reference that a lot because the couch to 5k running guide, every step is so doable. Like step one isn't run a mile. Cause if you were to download the couch to 5k running guide and the first step was run a mile, you'd be like, screw this. I'm not doing it. <laughs> not worth it. <laughs> not, not worth it. The first step is walk 20 minutes. You're like, Oh, okay. I can walk 20 minutes. And the second step is walk 20 minutes, run one minute. And you're like, Oh, okay. I can run one minute. And step three is like walk 20 minutes, run two minutes. Like everything is so gradual. And that's what you really want to kind of plan around with your kids. Every step should be so achievable. Like today, I just want you to sit here and I just want you to pull out your AAC device and then we're done. And that's it. And maybe you get a break and then we'll try something again. It doesn't have, that doesn't have to be the whole session, but every, every step towards getting reinforcements should be super achievable. And because we want to set them up for success and meet them with where they're at. If we're starting at like having a huge meltdown to even transition out of the classroom and our goal for next week's session is sitting in another room for 30 minutes working, like that's not going to happen. That's not, a, you know, really taking into account where the child is at. You know, instead it can be, hey, I want you to come with me this week and sit within my room for a few minutes and then we go play somewhere else. Like really building it up slowly and taking into account where they're starting. That's huge. That's huge because I know we all get stuck on, oh, but I have these other goals I have to work on. I'm supposed to be working on prepositions. I'm supposed to be working on greeting. And it's like, you can't even get them into a different setting or you have to take things slow and steady and you'll eventually get there. But- and you have more success in the long term, you know, instead of like trying to force prepositions down their throat, it's like, you know, let's like, let's get them used to you in the room and, and the structure and, and we'll get to all that. Like you will, and you'll get to all of that and likely be way more effective if you've like done that, all of that background work. That's huge. And what tips and tricks do you have for determining what is motivating for these children? Yes, that's a huge, I spend lots and lots of time (laughs) talking about what reinforcement is and what reinforcement isn't, because there's a lot of misconceptions on this. And, you know, I've met 
I've met teachers and clinicians that are like, oh, I don't use reinforcers. And I'm like, oh, that's so funny. So you go to work without getting paid. That is so nice of you to volunteer <laughs> your time here. Thank you. You know, reinforcement is something that, that shapes all of our behaviors. Everything we do is shaped by reinforcement. It, reinforcement is anything that comes after a behavior that causes you to increase those behaviors in the future. So if I tell a joke and people laugh, I'm going to be likely to tell that joke again. But if I tell a joke and it's like an awkward silence, like I'm not saying that joke again. So it's all of our behaviors. And reinforcement isn't a sticker. It's not an iPad. It's not a Cheeto. Reinforcement is different for everyone. And reinforcement changes throughout the day, even for one child. So this process is really tricky. And that's when, you know, when we look at and assess like classroom behavior management systems that are for the whole class. A lot of times these might not work for some of our kids because the reinforcers involved in that are not reinforcing for this kid. Mm -hmm. A lot of our learners, especially on the spectrum, praise is not a reinforcer. Work completion is not a reinforcer. Peer approval, not a reinforcer. Things that might be reinforcers for you know, the rest of the class are just not reinforcers yet for our kids. And we have to acknowledge that and not try to like force that. Well, like I'm going to make good grades and praise be a reinforcer for you no matter what. Like it's just not going to be. If your principal said, you know, this paycheck, I'm going to pay you all and scratch off lottery tickets. We'd all be like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like we'll take the paycheck. So it is really a mindset shift for some people to identify that like, okay, what is a reinforcer for a typical fifth grader is not a reinforcer for him. And I need to figure out what things are reinforcers for him. And if you can figure out what those things are, you're going to have so, so much more success because that's, that's where all learning comes from. It comes from repetition and reinforcement. The more things we do something and something awesome happens after, the more we're going to want to do it. That's how, like, even if we think of our babies and toddlers, when mm -hmm. they learn to talk, the first time they say mama, the mama yells and screams and claps and picks her up and mm -hmm. they get affection and attention and it's shaping that behavior. So long answer to that. <laughs> no, no, but that's so helpful. And, that, and, and to not be afraid to, you know, as a speech therapist, not being afraid to ask the teacher, hey, what, what are some reinforcers that are working with you in the classroom? And being okay with it, that might not work in the therapy room. It can yeah. be completely yeah. different. And just knowing the answer doesn't mean that is the only answer. Yeah. So, and like what, what works in the morning might not be in the afternoon, what works in the cafeteria is going to be, is going to be different than what is working during a math center. And resources are so fluid, you know, and I think, like you said, it's really important to have that like communication, like the clinicians, the teachers, the parents should be talking about what's working, and what's not on a regular basis. Like, you know, if you're coming back from a session with a student and dropping him off with his para being like, oh, hey, guess what? We, I use this like little mini piano today and he was obsessed with it. So if you want to borrow it, you know, let me know. Like that should be part mm -hmm. of the conversation frequently because the more we all can be on the same page, the better. That's huge. And that ties into my next question because I think we all feel like we're all on a separate island but there really is no I in team and working with these children, it really is a team approach. But often speech pathologists, since we're not the ones working with the paras that often, and we're not always the ones on the forefront, what tips and tricks do you have for, you know, training paras, talking to paras, communicating with the team, team communication, all the above? Yeah, it's, you know, it's hard. And I think that's something, you know, a, a clinician is a lot more prepared for that because I think that's something talked about a lot more in a grad school program. Mm -hmm. 
but teachers are not prepared for training and managing staff. And that's something I talk a lot about with my teachers, you know, on my blog or membership or podcast, because in an undergrad program for a special ed teacher, there are no courses on leadership, on staff training. And that's a huge part of your job. And it's hard, even if you've been prepared for it, like it's hard, it's hard for CEOs of multi-million dollar companies. There's a whole billion dollar leadership industry. So this is a hard skill. It's not, it's not why any of us went into this field. None of us went into this field because we just love managing adults. So we have to really, I think, prioritize how important it is and make time for it. Cause that's, I think the biggest struggle is well, I, you know, I have this huge caseload or I have all these students, and all these behavior plans. I just can't make time for adults. Like, mm-hmm. no, 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 it's crazy. But we have to prioritize and make time. And if that means adding, you know, console minutes for the teacher and the team, you know, doing that. So you have time where you can schedule like, hey, what, you know, can I come in the first Monday of every month during your prep and chat with you? And, and to the paras, the same thing, like treating them as educators in that classroom, because a lot of times the paras are spending more time with the kids, like mm-hmm. inviting them to the speech sessions. Like I always had, you know, one-on-one paras, they should be sitting in the speech session with the kid, you know, learning exactly. what's going on there. And, and the same with the classroom paraprofessionals. Like if they're sitting on the edge, you know, be bold and it feels uncomfortable sometimes, especially if you're a younger clinician to be like, hey, you know, come join us, come sit with us. We're playing a game, come come join us. And having them be part of the group as opposed to like sitting on the edge waiting to take someone to the bathroom kind of thing. So true, so true. Like so many times our parents want to mimic what we're doing in the speech room and they can't. And that, that's, it, that helps with the carryover. And they're, sometimes they're the people that are the ones telling the teachers back in the classrooms yeah. what was going on. They're, they're our little, you know, messengers. Yeah, I think back to a, a one-on-one paraprofessional I worked with for a while, and she took her student to OT, to speech, to the social work sessions, and she was very like proud to be the one to come back and be like, oh, this is what we did in speech, and this is what she told me to do, and now and now she's the one teaching the other pairs and the teacher, and it was, and it really empowered her to be like, I'm the expert, and she was. She spent all day with this child, and you know, she was very into like, oh, I have to go ask the SLP this about his PECS book. And it was like, okay, go ahead. You know, like she That's had amazing. ownership of that and, and really giving that ownership to the paras of the kids that you work with. That's huge. Cause I know so often, especially speech therapy rooms are, are small. We're always like, oh, we don't need that adult in there. And to not be afraid to invite them in, bring them in. Sometimes you're walking back. Don't just like throw them back in the room and leave. Take that time to transition them back in, explain what happened, report back anything that you can. Having some sort of reporting and communication system so that everyone is on the same page is so huge. And even if you didn't do that last year, if it's like, oh, well, it's the same child and I didn't do that last year. So it's, you know, we get caught up in a lot and like, it's going to be weird. Like, that para knows, I, I've told her the last two years, I don't need you, but now what do I say? I just, like, it's okay. It can be weird for a minute. I'd be like, hey, from now on, I want you to sit it in the sessions. Like, it might be weird the first one, and then it won't be. And you can use this, this podcast episode, say I was listening to a podcast episode, yeah. and <laughs> yeah. it gave me the idea blame of bringing, <laughs> to, I will take the blame, as Asha will take the blame, but yeah. say I heard this, this podcast episode on SLP Coffee Talk, and now I'm going to change my ways this year. Yeah. And, and it's okay. We're always learning and growing and doing. Uh, every year, I always come up with like a professional goal for myself. One goal year was like, let me get better at learning the classroom curriculum. 
a goal for someone could be a better team player or to incorporate the paras a little bit more or communicating more with parents. It's always okay to learn and grow. It's even no matter how many years you're in the field. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so, so much. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I, everyone listening, I'm having so many ideas of how I can change my thought process on working with some of these, these students with challenging behaviors. And, and I love the analogy with the running because I'm so not a runner. I, 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 <laughs> I, I, trust me, I don't even know. Like, I don't think $500 would get me to run a mile. Um, <laughs> it might not be enough. <laughs> but being okay with slow and steady wins the race and being okay with what one what works for one might not work for the other and for trial and error trying out different things and not being afraid to not get it right the first time it's okay yeah i know we we get so scared about that <laughs> mm-hmm. and just because you had a meltdown one session doesn't mean you're going to get a meltdown every single session you never know what happened prior to that student coming into your speech room you don't know what happened at home you don't know and, and it's okay to find those things out too it's okay we should be more in the know about what is happening with our students so that we can have more success in our speech therapy room. It isn't so much about the independent goals that we're working on. It is really is a team approach. Yeah, absolutely. So where can people learn more about you, find out more about you, learn more about your behavior approaches, things like that? Yeah, so uh, my website is theautismhelper.com, and we have a team of, I think now seven bloggers that include an OT, an SLP, a parent, and special ed teachers from preschool through high school. So we've got a little bit of everyone. And then I'm on all social media channels at The Autism Helper, and my podcast is The Autism Helper Podcast. So however you like to consume information, I probably have a way. (laughs) That is amazing. I I know I learn a plethora of information from you always and everything that you post, and you are so knowledgeable about everything autism and behavior and data collection, all things I know my audience loves. I always like to end my episodes with a joke. Do you have a favorite joke? You know, I was like a little nervous about this because I didn't have one. And then I, I have a corny one that my daughter, who's four, has been using. So we're just going to go with that one. How That's fine. That? <laughs> That's fine. I'm all about the corny jokes. <laughs> okay. So this is her favorite one. And I think it was kind of fun because I think this is the first joke that she really understood because you know how like kids don't really understand jokes for a while and they like fake laugh. Like this one she does kind of get. So what did the baby corn say to the mama corn? What? Where's the popcorn? <laughs> She was like, mom, get it? It's like, pop is like papa. And I was like, okay. <laughs> that is impressive. I'm going to test this out on my almost six-year-old after that we, we're done. She might have made up that joke. I don't know if it's a real one. We'll see. <laughs> That's okay. It's better than my, my daughter trying knock-knock jokes that have zero punchline. Yeah. That's okay. I'm like, it's actually not funny, but, it's, but thanks. <laughs> you have to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with all of us here. And I can't wait to speak to you again soon. Sounds good. All right, guys, is your mind blowing a little bit? Are you feeling a little bit more confident in knowing that it's okay to not know? It's all about the growth mindset, right? You just don't know yet. And it's okay to not get things right the first time. Not all children are created equal. So I hope you are walking away with a better understanding of how you can incorporate the team a little bit more, how you can, I love the analogy Sasha gave with running and you know our motivation that we need motivators too, and to not be afraid of you know giving them that big motivator to see what their skills are. Can they do it? Won't they do it? And being okay with fading transitions. It doesn't have to be perfect the first time. Okay, guys, thank you so much for joining me for another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. 
Until next week, stay out of trouble. Are you tired of spending hours prepping and planning and not feeling totally confident after all of that? Make sure you check out my free webinar, How to Plan with Ease and Confidence Without Burning Yourself Out. Check it out today at speechtimefund.com slash webinar. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at www.speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any future episodes. While you are there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.